I will actually love your word and desire your word and, and want even more of your word. And then I go to, oh, Lord, open my eyes that I may behold beautiful and wonderful things within your word. Because as a, as a human being, my, my vision and my outlook is so finite, I need God to step in and help me to see how beautiful he really is because sin, again, has caused me to look at myself, to look at other people, to look at my situation, and, and not to cast my gaze upon the Lord. So I'm asking him, as I look into your word, remind me, sharpen me, quicken me, that I will see and behold your beauty. And I pray you, Lord, ignite my heart to fear your name above all things. And, and that's because I'm distracted. My heart is chasing all kinds of things. I, my, my life is full of squirrel moments. I, I'm chasing this and I'm chasing that. And in and, and, and that moment, I'm asking, Lord, help me to not be distracted. Please unite my heart to fear your name. In your name alone. Then you come to the S. And the S is simply, Lord, please satisfy me as only you can. Satisfy me, O oh Lord, with the goodness and the grace and the mercy that it is only found in King Jesus. Lord, may I not be satisfied by what this world has to offer. As the song says, this world really doesn't have much to offer. When we settle for this world and what it has to offer, you're actually settling for less. So I'm asking, Lord, give me taste buds for you. I've eaten too many sweets this week. And my palate has been messed up by all that sugar. Lord, bring me back. And even as we sing that song, it, it, it is he that truly satisfies. Everything else is just junk food. Everything else is just fast food. But the Lord is able to give you the bread of life. That which can sustain you and keep you. From day to day to day. Amen. May we praise the Lord for testimony and, and song this morning. It is indeed always a, a privilege and an honor to be with you here as we gather the church at Forest Baptist. And I, I made mention of this uh, a couple times this week in our community group and on Tuesday night in our community group here on Wednesday night when we meet, uh, that, that when I say things like it's so good to see you, I'm not just saying that just to be saying that. When I say it's so good to see you, I mean that because God did not promise that I would have the ability to lay my eyes upon you this day. So when I'm able to look out and see you, I, I, I really mean it's so good to see you today because my side of you is continual evidence of God's grace because had it been left up to us, we would have took ourselves out. But God in his mercy allowed us to come into the house of worship one more time. A number of accidents, a number of our uh, members were involved in accidents this week. We, you're not guaranteed the, the next moment. May we give glory to God as we gather together. And it's so good to see you, and it's a wonderful privilege and a tremendous honor to be with you once again. Uh, I'm excited because as we continue in gospel ministry here, uh, next week we will be celebrating our 151st uh, church anniversary. Amen. We said we're going to call that sesquicentennial plus one. That's, that's what we celebrate. Uh, continue to be in prayer for the body. There are a number of events going on this week. Uh, Sister Charlene has an announcement for us today. Just a reminder of all that's taking place. 
I want to remind you, nominations for our Servant Leader Award uh, are due today. So if you haven't had a chance to nominate that person that you believe that the Lord is using, just just, just working through that person, and, and that person has blessed you in many ways uh, each year, we want to just recognize uh, individuals within the body who are uh, uh, servant leaders, individuals who, who, who sacrifice their time, their gifts, that the body may be blessed. They, they're not doing it uh, to, to receive a name for themselves. They're not doing it because they, wanna, they want the glory, but they're doing it that uh, we would see their good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. Uh, so as you leave today, there are slips in the foyer. You can fill out, turn into the office, or hand, hand, hand it to one of our officers, and we'll get that in. Amen. This morning, we continue in our study of the gospel of, of Matthew. Uh, this sermon series, The King Has Come, a journey through the book of Matthew, uh, through the gospel according to Matthew. So uh, my prayer is that you have been blessed already. Uh, I have uh, been blessed. Again, a couple things we, we, we uh, resources want to bring to your attention. One is just the reading plan. Uh, and there are 28 chapters in the book of, of, uh, uh, of Matthew. If you... We'll just read one chapter a day uh, corresponding with today's date. So as today is, what, the 16th, when you get home or you may have done it already, just uh, take time to read the 16th chapter of the gospel uh, according to Matthew, tomorrow the 17th. But then I, just over and over and over again, and as you're reading, I ask, I ask that the Lord would give you new eyes and new ears to see this text in, in new ways. These stories can become so familiar, as we'll see this morning, that we can just overlook so much that what God has to show us. But also, some of us, uh, we were able to get a bulk discount on some journal Bibles for the Gospel of Matthew. If, if you got your journal Bible with you uh, with you right now, just, just shake that and let people see what you got. Amen. Um, now, if there's no special uh, dispensation of piety if you got one. It's just a tool that help you to go through the Gospel of Matthew Using our Bible study method, that soap method, as we are washing ourselves in the word, we want to be using soap. We want to uh, look at a specific scripture, what scripture stands out. We want to flush out what we are observing, our observations. But not only what we are seeing, how, how do we apply that rightly? That's the A, application. But finally, we, we want to close out our time with the Lord in prayer. Uh, and having that journal Bible kind of helps out. If you would like one of those, please see Sister Natasha after service. Uh, by us getting those in bulk, we are able to give those at a significant discount, $5 a piece. Again, I'm grateful for all those who are studying right along with us now. Uh, but if you would, turn with me in your Bibles or look up with me on your devices, Matthew, the second chapter. Uh, we will look at a very familiar uh, passage of Scripture this morning. Matthew, the second chapter, will be in verses 1 through 12, verses 1 through 12. 12. And if you would, please join me in standing in honor of the reading of God's word. Matthew, the second chapter. This is the word of God. Please hear this morning's voice of Christ. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men, or your translation may say magi or magicians, from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And, assembled, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. 
after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When, the, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may, may be seated. just want to place a tag upon the text before us this morning. Wise worship from wise men. Wise worship from wise men. Please join me in, in prayer as we go before the God who satisfies. Gracious Father, we come right now, Lord, in awe of who you are. Father, my prayer right now is indeed you would incline our heart toward your testimony, that we would look into your word and we would desire more and more because we know it's so good. It's so good to us and it's so good for us. For by your word comes life. So, Father, I ask that you would cause dead hearts to come to life this morning. May you open up blind eyes and unstop deaf ears. Father, I ask that you would prepare hearts to receive your word. But draw us near because your word is life. And not only incline our hearts towards your word, but Father, I ask that you would open up our eyes that we would behold you in marvelous and wonderful ways this morning. Lord, I ask that you would set our hearts ablaze for you this morning as we have come through a long week. Lord, some of us have come in here this morning limping. We're tired. The cares of this world are on our back, and we are distracted. Lord, I ask right now in the name of Jesus that your spirit would come and you would cause us to set our gaze upon Calvary's cross, that we would be delivered right now in the name of Jesus. Help us to love you, to desire you above everything else right now. Father, please unite our hearts to fear your name alone because we are distracted and, and we're torn between the cares and affairs of this world and your desires for our life. But Father, I ask that you would help us to have allegiance to you because through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we are no longer bound to sin. We don't longer have to obey, but you have set the captives free. And Father, I ask that we would enjoy and experience the benefit and the blessing of being set free in Jesus. Lord, there's someone right here today who is, who is bound up in their sin. There's a situation in their life that is causing despair because of their disobedience to you. Father, may you deliver them by opening up their eyes to King Jesus. And Father, I ask that you will satisfy us by your word. May we come to your table and eat and drink and enjoy fellowship and communion with you this morning and with one another, our brothers and sisters in Christ. I beg that you will come, Lord. Hide me behind thy cross. May the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the precious and matchless and mighty name of Jesus the Christ, we do pray. Amen. 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 You know, it's something about having a good education. Because we love the notion of being smart. And looking out, I know we are a highly educated people. We got some smart folks in her today. But we don't want to just talk about being smart. But the way that we determine or ascertain just how smart we are in classes, we, we take things called tests, don't we? Oh, boy, to take a test, these aptitude tests, to figure out just how smart we are. This morning, I have a quiz for us just to see how smart we think we are. Just a, just a quick little quiz just to see if you're woke and, and, and ready to hear God's word this morning. So follow along with me on this test. It's a mathematic test. I know y'all hate math. 
and, and it's not just a, a, a mathematics test. It's a story problem. Oh, boy. You walk into a store. You pick up a bat and a ball. And you go up to the cash register, and you set it down on the cash register, and he scans it in. B, B. The total of the bat and the ball is a dollar and ten cents. Y'all got that? It's, a, it's, it's total together. It's a cheap store. The bat and the ball, dollar ten cents. If the bat is exactly one dollar more than the ball, how much is the bat? And how much is the ball? Get the numbers crunching. I'll repeat it. You go into a store and you ring up a bat and a ball, and you and you come to the cash register. They ring it up. It's a dollar and ten total. If the bat is a dollar more than the ball, how much is the bat by itself, and how much is the ball by itself? Now think quickly. And we're trying to figure out how smart you are. That this is a quiz. Now, now, without shouting out the answer, I don't want to shame nobody. How many of y'all said a dollar? The bat, the bat is a dollar, and how much is the ball? Ten cents. Okay. I'm sorry, that's wrong. The correct answer would be the bat is a dollar and five cents, and the ball is five cents. The total is a dollar ten and the bat is exactly a dollar more than the ball. See, it's quizzes like that where we try to see our aptitude, just how smart we think we are. But we live in a culture where we esteem intelligence so much. We want to be so smart. We think that if, if I'm smart, that's going to guarantee success in life. If I'm smart, that I'm, I'm better than these folks over there on that side of the tracks. If I'm smart, it automatically means that I'm going to do well in life. We believe this to be true about being smart. However, beloved, I would argue to you this morning that it's not how much knowledge that you have which leads to success, but how much wisdom you have that leads to success. Or really, right outcomes. Because it's not, it's not guaranteed, but right outcomes usually come from having wisdom, not just a bunch of facts about something. See, to be smart means you have a good grasp of all the facts. But to be wise is to take those same facts and to apply them in a way that leads to a right action. I, how many of y'all know some real smart folks who made some bad decisions? I'm in that company myself. Uh, uh, you can be, you can have all the intellect in the world and have no common sense at all because it comes from wisdom. And as a matter of fact, when we think about wisdom, Scripture tells us in Proverbs, the ninth chapter and the 10th verse, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is insight. What Scripture is teaching us is really you don't know nothing until you know God. You may think you're smart, you may think you got it all together, but until you acknowledge God as Lord and Savior, you really don't know nothing. And it's from that posture and position, when we understand that it is only God who's giving wisdom, then can we truly live a life full of right actions. Beloved, did you know that you could show up in here this morning with a whole lot of right information about God, but don't know nothing about God, who he really is? You can show up on Sunday morning with a whole lot of facts about Jesus and not know Jesus for yourself. Beloved, understand this. Knowledge of facts don't lead to worship. Wisdom does. And in the text before us this morning, we see Matthew brilliantly, he is, he is contrasting between knowledge or the wisdom of this world and the wisdom from on high. He is contrasting the wisdom of this world, knowledge, versus the wisdom that is from God, revealed by God. And what I believe that this gospel writer wants his people to see is that wisdom actually worships at the feet of King Jesus. 
Wisdom acknowledges Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords. Because Jesus is king over all, we, you, should be wise in whom you worship. We have to be wise in whom we worship. But the only way we can be wise in whom we worship is to have wisdom from God. When we look at this text, these events, they, 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 they happen after the birth of Jesus. We'll talk a little bit about that in a second. But Matthew, he, he's contrasting Jesus' legitimate kingship and his sovereignty with the illegitimate power of the day. This is what I love about the Gospel of Matthew. This is what we're going to see. He, he, he's taking those puzzle pieces, and he's not uh, uh, overtly saying that Jesus is the Messiah. You need to believe in him. But he's, he's giving this portrait, this picture of who Jesus is. And from that portrait, all these questions are coming up from the text that you and I have to deal with. One thing I like about the Gospel of Matthew is he's writing in a way that you just can't read. You just can't gloss over the text. You got some real things you need to deal with if you're going to read this rightly. And he's dealing with us today because he's contrasting earthly knowledge and heavenly wisdom. He's contrasting earthly control and earthly power with divine authority. Matthew seems to be unfolding this theme and raising a whole lot of questions about will Jesus be the object of your worship? That's what he wants you, that's what he wants to know. Who will actually be the object of your worship? And he does this through this, this story, which for us, again, would be a traditional Christmas story. And I'll love it. I love you. I'm not trying to spoil your Christmas, but much of what we believe about the Christmas narrative is not true. It's actually just traditions that we accept. And this text is showing us that, that, that the wise men have come to, to, to see Jesus and they show up at his crib. They show up at his house. Now everything we know about Christmas is uh, they have this cute little baby in the manger wrapped up and you know it's neat. It's clean. And then the animals are kind of like sectioned off over here and Mary and Joseph and and all of the wise men are there, and you know, all of the shepherds are there, and, and it's just a cute little scene. Beloved, the wise men weren't there at Jesus' birth. This, this text happens sometime later. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to go all crazy and uh, be legalistic on it, but, but, but we have to be real careful because when we listen to a tradition that distorts the truth, then we're more liable to accept a, a, a lie in our lives if we don't push back against what is false. So I, what I just want us to see today is though it's a cute Christmas story, and though we may sing cute songs, the, the text of scripture is what gives us theological and historical accuracy. In other words, stop getting all your Bible knowledge from TV. If you want to learn about the Exodus, don't rent the movie. Pick up your Bible. If you want to learn about Noah's flood, don't, don't, don't I, I'm going to tell you. I, I'm going to give you a secret. Don't waste your money. Don't pay $6.50 for the ticket and $10 for your pop and for your popcorn. Just sit down early one morning, you and the Lord, Open up your Bible, and God will tell you exactly what happened. Because what we see in front of us are uh, it's, it's so many lies. And Satan is slick with it. This is what Satan does. Satan fools us because if, if he takes some truth and he slides in some lies. Satan will give you some truth, won't he? But he'll slide in some lies, too. And then we begin building a theology, a framework for life based upon a lie. But let me, let me just move on from there. What I want us to do this morning is really just walk through this story. 
and allow the scripture to interrogate our hearts. And let the gospel writer ask us some questions this morning. So this morning we, we see that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the text tells us in verse 1, in the days of Herod the king. We can pause right there. Who is this guy, Herod? Well, in the Bible, we see that Herod at this time, he's, he's king of the Jews. He's in Jerusalem and he's reigning. But what Matthew is showing us here is that by mentioning Herod as the king, he wants you to see that Herod is actually a illegitimate king. He's a usurper. He, he's, not, he's not of Davidic lineage. He, he is someone that when Rome came in and conquered the land, uh, the, uh, the Romans would want to find someone who, who, who wanted to cozy up with them, someone that they can count on, someone that they can trust. So they didn't want to get someone who would per perhaps have a messianic lineage because they, they knew that th that person would rise up and rule over them. So they got, they got one of their homeboys. Some nepotism going on. One of, one of their they family members. You know how, you know how it go. You got a job for somebody, and then you decide to get your cousin, knowing that your cousin can't do the job, but you're trying to put some money in their pocket, and then they messed up the whole job, and then you got to come out of more money because they messed up the job, and now you got to get somebody to do the job. And I'm just saying, Rome is trying to get something, trying to get the hookup. So they, 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 they bring Herod in. They, they give him legions of Roman soldiers to quell and to conquer the throne here in Jerusalem. And, and he, he has control over Judea uh, approximately 40 B.C. Now, he, he wasn't all bad, mostly bad. He did do a few good things. There, there was a famine in the land at one point, and he was able to distri uh, uh, distribute food to the people. His, his building projects were uh, superb. Uh, he, remember, during the, this time, this biblical time, he's building the, the temple. He is restoring the temple, and it is a beautiful temple. But what we need to know about Herod is that he was terribly violent. He was paranoid to the point where anyone he suspected would want to usurp his rule, he was willing to kill. Even so much, he had his wife killed and two of his sons killed because he was all about power. He was all about the throne. He was all about city in a place that really wasn't meant for him. And beloved, we can point our finger and look at Herod and talk about Herod, but in our own lives, there's some thrones we're trying to sit on that we ain't got no business sitting on. Or there are some illegitimate kings sitting on the throne of your heart even today. And when I say illegitimate kings, there's some folks, there's some places, there's some jobs, there's some TV shows, there's some things that's really ruling over our hearts that have no business ruling over our hearts, especially if we name the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior. We got some illegitimate kings sitting on our hearts, and when you have an illegitimate king sitting on your heart, that king will tell you to do illegitimate things, things that are contrary to the word of God. Herod is sitting on the throne, this illegitimate ruler but he says, he goes on to say, behold, wise men from the east. They have came to Jerusalem. And what were they saying? Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? What? Isn't Herod king? They, they have come from the east and they're looking for the king. Now, these wise men, we... We don't, we don't know a whole lot about them. Like, we, we, we really don't know how many there were. The, the Christmas tradition is that there were three of them. And I, they get that from the fact that there were three gifts. But if you were coming from the distance that they uh, came from, it probably was a lot of them. They, they probably had a, a group, a caravan that was going together. One, just for safety. They didn't want them to be in a desert by themselves with, with these expensive gifts. You, you're not just going uh, 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 downtown to shady areas with your bling just hanging out and, and, and a, a wad of dough. Like you just swinging your purse around and around. You ain't doing all that. 
You're going with folks who are going to be with you and help you. So they're, they're probably not by themselves. But the Bible doesn't tell us how many. And nor does the Bible tell us their names. There's tradition about their names. But we, we don't know this stuff. We don't have to assume. But so, beloved, let me just give you a hint. In areas where the Bible doesn't speak, don't even worry about it. Because he's spoken on enough things that we can concern ourselves about. So the text tells us that wise men from the east, or again, is translated magi or magicians. Uh, this, this word is, is, is used for the title of uh, a Persian priestly caste. And they played an important part in advising the kings at that time. So every king in those, uh, at that time, they would have this, this, this set of magi or wise men who would inform them. And as time went on, this term came to, to loosely cover a wide variety of men interested in dreams, astrology, magic, and books thought to contain mysterious references to the future and the like. They were high-ranking officials, and we can even see the Magi at work in the book of Daniel. We see that Daniel was, was placed as head over the Magi. They, they were in the Babylonian Empire, but not only do we see them in the Babylonian Empire, we see them way back in the book of Exodus in the courts of Pharaoh. Remember, remember Pharaoh was trying to reproduce what, what Moses and Aaron was doing, and he called the magicians. Your text may say magicians, it's Magi. So we, we see all the way back in royalty uh, where kings dwell, these, these wise men, these magi were always there some way advising kings. And the text tells us that they have come from the east. And the east would be areas like Babylon, Persia, or even the Arabian Desert. Again, we don't know exactly where they're from. We, we can't infer, but... We're not worried about that today. What, what we want, want, want to focus on is the fact that outside folks, that's what we want to focus on. Pagan folks, Gentile folks, the people who wouldn't ordinarily recognize who God is. They, they weren't just good church folk like you and me. They, they were on the outside. They, they didn't get up early Sunday morning to go to Sunday school. They, they laid in the bed on No, they, 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 uh, they came in in order to worship Jesus. And the text tells us that they've come from the east and, and they, they've come to worship the king of the Jews. And they say, for we saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship. Beloved, when I look at that, and, and I'm looking at their, their positions and their jobs, what the interesting thing that I see is that even though that these wise men, these magi, would have been serving in the courts of kings and queens already, they knew that they were still looking for another king to come. They, they were actually waiting not for the king over the region. They were looking for the king of kings and lord of lords. Beloved, when we see their actions, though they may be surrounded with folks who call themselves kings, they still have their eye on one who will come and rule over everything. Beloved, when I look at the Magi, the, the question that just jumps out of the remember, we're, we're asking questions. The question that jumps out of the text is, are you looking for Jesus today? You may be in a world, in, in a situation that says salvation comes through money. Salvation comes through relationships. Salvation comes from what you got already. But that though we may live in that situation that says you can be satisfied in any and everything but Jesus, are you really still looking for Jesus to come? Do you have an eye for the people of God? Do you have an eye on his return? Beloved, the text tells us that Jesus can show up any minute now. Any minute now. Well, I, I got to go to work, and I got these meetings, and I, and I got to pick them up. Don't you know if Jesus come, you ain't, you, you ain't going to be worried about all that because either you belong to him and you will meet him in the air, 
or you don't belong to him and you will be cast off. Do you have an eye for Jesus? But not only this, what's interesting, the text says, for we see his star. So much has been written about this star or what this star was. There are some that think this star was a natural phenomenon, whether it was a, a comet, a, a supernova, or maybe it was some uh, the alignment of Jupiter and some planets. It's some type of celestial body, some, some natural phenomenon. Some believe that. Some believe that this is a star is a, a supernatural astral phenomenon, whether it's, it's, it's uh, uh, God moving in, Almost kind of like you see where where the, the, the sun stood still, where we see God supernaturally moving in creation to, to lead the wise man to Jesus. You know, it, some folks think it's that. Or beloved, there's some that believe this to be an angel who is shining forth the glory of Christ. And he has revealed himself specifically to these magi. And the Magi, it, it will kind of explain why they were the only ones who could actually see this star. And, and why that as they went, the, the star was kind of leading them. So, so there, there's different theories as to what this star was. And, and we can discuss that at another time or even privately. But what I want you to see is that in the midst of Jesus being declared the King of King and Lord of Lords, it doesn't happen without divine revelation. God is stepping into a situation. He's stepping into creation, and he's unveiling, he's revealing his purposes and his plan. Don't you know, you can't know who Jesus is unless God reveals him unto you. That's, that should be all of our prayers. For those who are unsaved, our prayer is not that they will get themselves together. Our prayer is, Lord, reveal yourself to them. So that they would come running to Jesus. That they would come running asking, what must I do to be saved? So it's divine revelation at work. It's interesting as well that we see that the, the wise men, they come to the city of Jerusalem. They would expect that the king would be in the capital. But it's funny because they, they straight overlook Herod. As a matter of fact, they out in the city, they're asking, where's the king of the Jews? Where's the king of the Jews? I'm sure people looking at him like, what are you talking about? The king. Is Herod. He's in his palace. And word gets back to Herod. Notice what happens. In verse 3 it says, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Beloved, don't you know that not everybody is looking forward to seeing Jesus come? Everybody ain't happy to hear the name Jesus. And it's usually folks like Herod and his chief priests who have accumulated some type of power and control and want to cling onto it for themselves. Look, here, uh, not only is it Herod, well, he's a illegitimate king, he's a usurper, but not only is it Herod, it's the chief priests and the scribes. The religious folk, the church folk, the people you would expect to be looking for Jesus, the people you would expect to be happy about Jesus' coming, they, they, they completely overlooked the fact that the king has come. They knew their Bible. The chief priest would have been in charge of worship, the sacrifice and everything that takes place in the temple. The scribes would have been in charge of the law, interpreting the law, laying out how, how the people of God should follow God's law. But here they're completely apathetic. They could care less that, that the Christ has come. They're more concerned about their own lives, their own wealth, than the king of the Jews coming in to redeem them. And beloved, sometimes we can look at Jesus the same way. We see Jesus as a means to our own personal benefit than, rather than the Savior who is king of kings and lord of lords. We see Jesus as this cosmic genie who is, who is set up there to give us what we want. And when we don't get it, we can get mad at him and be upset instead of seeing him as the one we are to surrender and submit ourselves to. Jesus 
is the reason why they show up. So in the midst of him being upset, here he, he decides to set a trap and he says, oh, just, y'all yeah, yeah, go worship Jesus. Just tell me where he's at. He's trying to set a trap. He, he, he's trying to hold on to what he still has. And the Lord allows that to happen and he takes the wise men to see Jesus. And beloved, we have in the text, we see that the bread of life is living in the house of bread, Bethlehem. Located about six miles from Jerusalem, Bethlehem is the place where Jacob buried Rachel. Bethlehem is the place where Ruth met Boaz. And Bethlehem is the place where King David was born. So we see those uh, Davidic, those that kingly, that uh, uh, lineage and overtones in the fact that they they went to Bethlehem for the census, but they're still there. We don't know how old Jesus is at this moment, but the key point here is that uh, uh, God leads them to Jesus' feet, just as he led the children of Israel through the wilderness by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. God leads the wise man with the star to worship at the feet of Jesus. Verse 11 is really what this is all about. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And what did they do? They fell down and worshipped him. They fell down and worshipped him. This was a recognition. Now, remind you. The wise men were important people. They knew what a king looked like. Laying in the arms of Mary was King Jesus. And they recognized who he was. You don't just bow down to anybody. And they bowed down, prostrate before Jesus, signifying that he is a king. Beloved, when you enter into worship on Sunday mornings, I'm not even going to talk about Sunday mornings. Let me back up. When you enter into worship Monday, when you enter into worship Tuesday, when you enter worship on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, do you come into worship like, well, God, I'm here now. I did what I was supposed to do. I showed up. Now, are you going to bless me today? Or do you show up as King Jesus? I, I, I just want to bow down and worship. Lord, if, if you don't give me anything else, you, you've really already done enough for me already. I just want to enter to worship to recognize who you are and that I can even belong to you. How do you enter into worship? Well, Lord, you know I did my devotion today. You owe me. When's the last time you bowed down in front of Jesus? You know, the text of Scripture tells us that our bowing down is not so much external. See, I can put on a show for y'all. See, I, I can make y'all think I love Jesus. I can shout. See, I've been churched enough. I know the shouting moments. I know when I'm supposed to wave my hand. And like I, like I know church. So on the outside, I can act like I got my worship all together. See, but what Jesus wants from us is an internal posture that is broken, that is humble, who says, Lord, I ain't got no business being in your house. Lord, I ain't got no business being able to come before your throne. Lord, I shouldn't be able to pray to you right now, but because of your mercy, because of your grace, because of your goodness, you, you came down and, and saved a sinner like myself. That's worship. And bowing down says, Lord, I love you, but I've been sinful. Lord, I, I, I done cussed somebody out this week. Lord, please forgive me. I done had a bad attitude all week. Lord, please forgive me. Lord, I done, well, I done seen things I'm not supposed to see. I done went places I shouldn't have went. Lord, I have some broken relationships, which please forgive me. That's how you bow down. That's how you lay prostrate, uh, prostrate before Jesus. You don't walk up in, uh, in, into worship with a heart that I got it all together. I ain't did nothing wrong all week. And if they think I did something wrong, that's on them. 
to be prostrate, to bow down and worship before Jesus is to acknowledge the fact that you are a miserable, wretched sinner. And had it not been for the love and mercy of Christ, the grace that he lavished upon you, you would be headed to hell and uh, an eternity separated from the goodness of God. And when I'm able to come down and see, when I'm able to bow down before Jesus, then I can bow down before people. Because it don't matter what you think about me. I, I don't posture myself over you no more. I don't make it like I got myself all together. I, I'm, I'm highly and holy, and you just lowly. See, I, I can't say that when I bow down before Jesus, it puts everything in its proper perspective. I would have no hope it was not for you, King Jesus. So they come in and they begin to worship. But watch their worship. The text says not only do they worship and bow down, but the text says they, they begin to open up their treasures. They open up their treasures and they begin to pull out gold. Here you are, King Jesus. They begin to pull out frankincense. Here you are, King Jesus. They, they begin to pull out myrrh. Here, here you are, King Jesus. So, 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 so as an act of worship, they come before him, King Jesus, and give him good gifts. Now in the text, there's many ways that people can interpret these type of gifts. And, and a lot of times, I believe unhelpfully, uh, we, we, we go astray to try to figure out the symbolism of these gifts. There, I mean, there, there, there's certainly something to it, the fact that gold represents uh, a king. When you, when you, when you look back in, in, in Samuel and you see uh, uh, Solomon and the amount of, of gold that he has, 1 Kings, the 10th chapter, when the queen of Sheba comes up to see Solomon and he begins to open up all his treasures, and she sees all that gold, and she's amazed, and he has this stack, he has this stacks and stacks of cash just chilling all over the place. And so she sees that, and it represents the king. And we see the frankincense, and the, and the frankincense, uh, frankincense is, is part of the worship in the temple. As they are giving offerings to God, they will light these incense, and, it, and the incense will go up as as symbolic, uh, there's a, 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 a fresh aroma going up to the nostrils of God. So they give Jesus gold because he's the king. They, they, they give him frankincense because of, 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 of his worship, who he is. But then also they give him myrrh. And myrrh is a perfume, and you can use it two ways. You can, you can mix it up into a drink. And where do we see that's taking place? At the cross, we see Jesus. They, he, he's on the cross, and they give him a drink, and they put myrrh in it, and they mix it up and try to give it to him. The myrrh is symbolic of his humanity. The fact that he would lay down his life for you and for I, that he would die. So there's definitely some symbolism in the elements that they laid at Jesus' feet. But, beloved, the, the point that I want to get at is when you come into worship of Jesus, you have to come with open hands and you got to open up your treasures. You can't come before Jesus and worship still holding on to everything you want to hold on to. You can't come before Jesus with closed hands saying, Lord, I want you to bless in this area, but I'm going to hold on to this sin. I'm, I'm still going to hold on to that dude. I know he ain't no good for me. But I'm still holding. I know I'm going to hold on to this job. I, I know they, they want me to lie. They want me to de be deceitful. But I'm still going to hold. No, we open up our treasure. You know what a treasure is? Something that's valuable to you. Your treasure may not be my treasure. I, I, I treasure being outdoors and in the backyard with some firewood in my fire. I love that. See, you might not like bugs and stuff like that. Your, your treasure is different than my treasure. But whatever you treasure, Jesus says, if I'm going to be your Lord, if I'm going to be your master, then whatever you treasure needs to be opened up and unfolded for me to take however and do it, do it however I want to do with it. They open up their treasures. And a treasure is not just something that's important to me. A treasure is something that 
would be a significant sacrifice if I had to do without it. You think gold was cheap? There's a reason that they came with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. There's a reason why they show up prostrate, opening up their hands to the Lord. And when we come before King Jesus in worship, we have to have that same posture. Lord, let me open up my treasures before you. You take whatever you need to take from me. But then finally, verse 12, it's interesting. It says, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. The Lord made provision, and he rescues the wise men from danger. But, but you say, no, but Herod just wanted to find out what Jesus was. Beloved, if you think Herod will let some folks live who knew where King Jesus was, as soon as they got back and gave him the information, he would have killed them too. Their lives was in danger, but God shows up. The question Matthew is asking us is, where do you look to when danger is right around the corner? Are you trying to fix life yourself, or are you submitting to the Lord? Let me close. I actually want to close with this. Four lessons in wise worship. We talk about being wise. This is not a exhaustive list. Just a couple things that just came to mind as I was studying this week, four lessons in wise worship. How, how can we be wise men and women in our worship? Well, the first thing we want to do is wisdom understands to worship Jesus is a journey. The wise men came from a great distance. If they, it, it, it says that if they had came from Babylon, they would have traveled over 900 miles. So for them to come, for one, one, it was a journey because they had to wait for the star to show up. They were looking with expectation to what God would do. They had to wait for the star to show up, and then when it did, they had to prepare rightly. They had to get ready. They didn't just start off on the trek. They didn't just get on their camel and go, but they had to get their provisions. They had to get their people. They had to make sure they was ready to go. And then they had to endure the long journey. I don't believe that every day was a, a sunshine, sun-filled day. There had to be some, some hills and some valleys. There had to be a little sunshine and a little rain all along the way. What, what, what this shows us is that we, we, when we come to the face of Jesus, we don't show up as super Christian, ready to do our thing, but God needs to take you on a journey from point A to point B. He wants to meet you where you are. He wants to make sure you have the right provision. He wants to make sure you got the right people around you. He wants to prepare you for the journey. Then he begins to deal with you on the journey to bring you up through the mountains, down through the valleys, those high marks of life and those tough times of life, and he brings you through on this journey why? Because when you're really ready to show up for worship, you know you're at the king's feet. Unfortunately, we, we put limits on our worship. Lord, I ain't going that far. Lord, I ain't giving that up. Lord, I ain't, I ain't going there. I, I know you said to apologize, but I ain't. Lord, you, you, I, I know that scripture says, and I'm supposed to forgive them, but I ain't. We put limits on, on our worship. Secondly, we see that wisdom understands to worship Jesus requires surrender. Surrender. See, the problem with Herod and the religious leaders is that they had power and control over the region. They didn't want to give it up. Beloved, we come in every Sunday morning, and the reason why we really don't bow down and worship to Jesus is because we think we got control over our, our own lives, and we don't want to give it up. I don't want to give it up. I don't want to stop. I don't want to turn. I don't want to repent. 
But if we're ever going to worship Jesus in spirit and, and truth, we have to surrender control of our lives over to him. Thirdly, wisdom understands to worship Jesus requires sacrifice. As the wise men gave Jesus their treasures, we must give up something for Jesus. We must give up our selfishness. We must give up our bitterness. We must give up our anger. We, we have to give up something. Beloved, to worship Jesus has to cost you more than just sleep on Sunday morning. If you really love Jesus, it's going to cost you some friendships. It's going to cost you some relationships. It's going to cost you a job. If you really love Jesus, it may cost you from getting the house you thought you wanted in order to free you up financially so you could be a bigger blessing to someone else. It's going to cost you something. If you really want to love Jesus and bow down and worship, maybe you shouldn't get that brand new car with that brand new note. Maybe you keep the hoopty, but you are able to be a blessing to somebody down a little bit more. Worship takes place anywhere you're willing to lay down your treasures at Jesus' feet. If we're really going to worship Jesus, guess what? Then we're going to have to lay down our own lives on that altar and burn up. We have to die to self. Lastly, wisdom understands the worship of Jesus leads to new direction. This is from verse 12. We see that because of divine revelation, the word of God comes to them in a dream that instead of going back to Herod, some of y'all got to hear that. Instead of going back to Herod, they go forward another way. When we are genuinely worshiping Jesus, he will lead you in new directions. That means that same old chaos, that same old drama, those same old issues got to die at some point because Jesus is not a God of confusion. If your life is filled with confusion, it, it may be an attack of the enemy, it may be an external, but a lot of times, the reason why we got so much drama and chaos in our lives is because we keep going back to a situation that Jesus want to move us away from. And if we're going to really worship Jesus, he says we got to have a new direction. But understand, new direction only comes from a new revelation. You got to understand what God wants you to do. You got to understand where the Holy Spirit wants you to go. You got to read your Bible for yourself. You got to be obedient to your brothers and sisters in Christ. If you do not change your direction, you're just going to keep going back to Herod and it'll keep buzzing you upside your head. And you asking questions why this always happened to me? Why I ain't never got what they got? How come? No, Jesus wants to lead you somewhere else. And beloved, it's only by grace that he's allowing you not to thrive. Because if you had found favor in that bad direction, you wouldn't even be thinking about Jesus today. You see that? In the midst of our foolishness, God is still he offering us grace. I, I want you to come back. I want you in a new direction. Stop turning to the world and turn towards me. And, and, and to keep you from looking that way, I'm going to shut that door. I'm going to shut that door. I'm going to take that job. I'm going to break that relationship. Uh, I, I'm going to take that cell phone. You don't have 50 numbers in one year. And God is trying to move you somewhere. You won't change your number. So he said, I'm going to change it myself. And what you do, go back and what's your number again? What's your number? No, he wants you to get rid of that number in the first place. You know you ain't supposed to have that number in your cell phone. That's why, your, that's why your phone keep getting cut off. Jesus is trying to lead you in new directions. Love God is good. And we can get bogged down 
in the details of this text. But what we must not fail to understand is that though there's the wise men, though there's Herod, though there's the chief priests, the scribes, the star, Bethlehem, Mary, baby Jesus, at the center of this text is King Jesus. Everything is taking place because King Jesus has showed up. And in life, we can become the same way, distracted. I can be distracted by my business. I can be distracted by my calendar. I can be distracted by this job. I can be distracted by my, uh, by, by my own selfish needs. I can, be, I can be distracted by my, my own need to try to feel the numbness of my brokenness. I, it was brought to my attention this morning. You know what? Brokenness don't just manifest itself in big, in big ways that we think. We think brokenness only manifests itself in like drug addiction and, 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 and sex outside of marriage and anger and, and, and all those things. You know, you, you know, brokenness can manifest itself in the way we shop. Ooh, oh, uh-oh, oh pastor. You meddling now, pastor. Me and Dylan's got a thing. Don't mess up our thing. You know, you, you can be trying to satisfy a deep emptiness through your shopping habits. You can, you, you can try to satisfy that brokenness through your eating habits. You, you, can, try to, you can try to satisfy yourself by your, your social media habits. You, you can try to satisfy that brokenness, that numbness in your heart just through your cell phone, your smartphone. You, you always got to be doing something. You can't even sit. You can't even sit at the light without looking at your phone. Now, I'm going to say this, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to take my seat. If I catch any members of Forest Baptist Church texting and driving, we having a conversation. That's dangerous, and I want to see you next week. We sitting at the light for 10 extra seconds because you ain't looked up. Beloved, don't miss the chief priests and scribes. Don't miss it. Because we can be so interested in pursuing religious facts that we miss the real person. But beloved, at some point, we all fail to be wise. We all fail to be wise. At some point, we all fail to fear the Lord in a way that produces wisdom. Proverbs 3 and 7 says, be not wise in your own eyes. That's, that's the know-it-all. That's the you can't tell me nothing. That's I'm not hearing that. We can be wise in our own eyes. But if we truly want the wisdom of God to meet us where we are, we must surrender and worship at the feet of King Jesus. At whose feet do you worship today? Wise worship from wise men. Because Jesus is king over all, you should be wise in whom you worship. And my challenge to you today is that you would walk in wisdom. And that you would see the, the necessity of forgiveness for your sin through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Repentance is a Bible word that simply means a change of direction. I've been headed this way all my life, but I, because of what God has, has, has called, has, has, the burden he has placed on my life, the conviction of sin, I understand that I need to change. I need to, make a, uh, to move in a new direction. 
Uh, repentance is a, a, a an agreement about uh, how God feels about sin and a movement to agree with him and how you should live for yourself. Uh, I, I, you repent and you believe. You believe what? You believe that Jesus is who he says he is. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior from, from sin. He is the one who has come and, and lived the life that we could not live and died the death that we deserved. And he was buried in the tomb, but God raised him from the grave on the third day. And we trust that only through him do I have acceptance. I, no matter how good I think I am, I need Jesus in order to be made uh, acceptable before God. And I repent and I believe. That's exercising wisdom. No longer would I live for myself, but I will live for the one who died for me and gave himself up for me. Beloved, my desire is that we as a congregation would become those who exercise wise worship from a wise people. Let us pray. Lord, you are so faithful. You're so wonderful. You're so good. Thank you from, for your word from on high. And Lord, I just believe your promise right now that when your word goes out, it will not return void, but will accomplish everything that you desire. Father, accomplish some things in our life today. Father, for the one who is far from you, I ask that you will rescue them. For the one that is running from you, I ask that you would just chase them down. For the one who is broken in their sin, I ask that you would bring deliverance. For the one who has just the various issues of life on their head, I ask that you would be that faithful promise keeper and that you would not forsake them, but that you would be with them as a refuge. And Father, I ask that you would continue to be with us in worship this day. We do love you and we do thank you. In the precious and matchless and mighty and magnificent name of Jesus the Christ, our Messiah, Emmanuel, we do pray. Amen. Beloved, the doors of the church are now open. If, if you are here this morning 